Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first episode of the Global Health Impact Fund podcast. I'm your host, Martin Eels, and we're super excited to finally have launched our podcast where we'll cover everything from investing-related topics to health-related topics. Over the next few months, we'll be dropping some amazing episodes, but we're going to be starting with a six-part how-to series. And in this series, we're going to take you on a journey of how to become an investor, how to understand venture capital, how to understand a cap table, how to do due diligence, and how to source and filter companies, as well as how to support a company post-investment. Now, I was going to do an introduction on the Global Health Impact Fund. However, I am so lucky to have an amazing person with me today who is my co-host for the six-part series. And he is Dr. Oren Alan Chavez, the co-founder and CEO of the Global Health Impact Fund. Oren, could you introduce yourself and the fund for us, please? Absolutely, Martin. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you uh, for having me. And I'm really excited. We've been talking about doing this for a while. And so to be a part of the inaugural episode is, is a real honor. So thank you for that. And I know you're going to be a terrific host. I hope I can be as good a, a guest. Um, the Global Health Impact Fund is a fund that was founded by doctors and is run by doctors. And um, we all have experience in business. I have an MBA from Columbia University. Uh, we have several startup and exit experiences under our belt. So we're not just clinicians, but we understand the clinical uh, needs of the hospital and the way things integrate. And we understand the science of these companies. And we feel that that adds a unique value uh, in the process of uh, doing due diligence and in the process of supporting companies that we end up investing in. Additionally, we've built a network. We've built a strategic network of doctors and other clinicians and sort of health um, healthcare interested folks uh, who support our companies. And we've really been able to, whether it's in the due diligence process, bring in exactly the right people to help us understand these highly technical companies, or whether it's post-investment, bringing in people to do things for companies that they need that only doctors can do, like setting up pilot studies or creating a, you know relationships with medical associations or riffing on the science or being an advisor and a key, a key opinion leader, sort of. There's a lot of, you know, Martin, because doctors are what I say are the alphas and the omegas in this relationship. Doctors know the science, maybe not as well as the scientists themselves, but better than most. You know, it's what we study. And doctors know everything from that science all the way through the customer experience. And so by taking all of that information and tapping into it um, during the journey of a startup, you can add a lot of value. So what I say is sometimes the bad companies can become good, the good companies can become better. And better often in this space means faster. So the faster you get to liquidity, the sooner you get that innovation to people, which ultimately is what we all want, but as an investor, the faster you get a return on your investment, the more valuable that return is because of the internal rate of return. Makes total sense. Like, I absolutely agree with you. So, you know, if you're happy, I'd love to jump straight into this episode, which is how to become an investor in the health tech space. So, you know, 
What are the first steps a clinician, a surgeon, or anybody who's interested in becoming an investor in the health tech space? You know, what are the first steps that we should do? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And, you know, let's predicate that by uh, allowing the doctors, clinicians, you know, because you can be nurses in, our, in the United States, you have to be an accredited investor. Um, but doctors, nurses, therapists, whoever wants to be involved, they're already bringing a deep expertise in a specific area. And, and that expertise has a lot of value. Uh, so, so it's if they do want to get involved, they're already starting in a good place, and that's I think that's really important to acknowledge. But that's only a starting position, and you really have to look at a number of different things. You don't want to invest in you know, as we say, the shiny new object. You know, everything looks really exciting or really terrible, and you have this this polarized view when you're first getting into it, and you don't want to be you know you don't want to be a sucker, you know, essentially. So you want to learn what really drives a company's success. What are the red flags you have to look at? And there are things you look at internally in companies. And so the best way to do that is to start to look at a lot of companies and ideally look at that over time so that you can see companies succeeding or failing and really get a sense of you know, what works and doesn't work. But also look at the industry itself, look at what trends are happening, read articles, understand what the market seems to value. At the end of the day, if there's no value created in the market, the business doesn't succeed. So that's a really critical component. So, you know, it's good to understand what competitors are doing. It's good to understand what degree of innovation is present in the company. And it's good to understand the experience of the people who are going to want this. So there are a number of different things, Martin, we, we think about and or sort of maxims I think about. I, I like to invest in innovations, not iterations, you know, not me too products. Now, sometimes we will, you know, there, there are good cases for both. And sometimes innovations are too innovative and people aren't ready for them. So, uh, you know, this, these aren't absolute maxims, but, but I think they're important. Um, another, another thing that I think about is that I want to invest in companies that people need, not companies that people want, because, you know, wanting something can change very easily. Needing something is, is almost an absolute. Yeah. So those are some of the ideas and the best way to do that is to read a lot. If you can go to certain, you know, events, you know, med tech type events or, Biopharm events, of course, in San Francisco every year, we have the JP Morgan event, which is just this huge festival of investors and startups. And you can really learn a lot just by going to those, subscribe to, you know, various newsletters like the Rock Health newsletter and the Startup Health newsletter and so forth. And, and you'll start to really learn. You'll get a picture of the industry. Okay. That makes total sense. Like I was going to ask, you know, how um, we go about looking for startups, but I know we'll cover that in a future episode. So we'll leave that for that episode. So, you know, as you know, like on average, you know, 50% of small businesses don't ever make it to year five. Like, can you tell us how to understand how to make money investing in startups? <laughs> Well, that's a really good point. It's actually worse <laughs> than that in venture. You know, if you look at statistics, right, and um, 
just general based statistics, early stage startups have a 90% failure rate. One in 10 succeed, right? That's crazy. Yeah, that's pretty terrible. Um, now, if you talk to a venture capitalist, they'll tell you that they plan on doing much better than that. I'll tell you that I hope to do much better than that. Um, but, you know, aspirations or, or what I like to say is wishful thinking is not a strategy, right? So how do you, how do you optimize that? How do you make that better? And, um, well, there are a number of ways. And the first way, of course, is you have to be better at picking and choosing. And we think that within our fund, what we've done by bringing in experts um, into the decision-making process pre-investment, that that makes a difference. You know, that we can see the market trends, we can understand what the market needs. Remember in healthcare, you know, you basically have two types of companies in healthcare investing uh, in the space that we're in, because we're not investing in hospitals and things like that. some of them don't have to go through the FDA. They may be either a telehealth solution or a billing solution or a data solution, something like that. It doesn't really need to go through a regulatory framework. That's one set. And then the other set does need to go through a regulatory framework. For the ones that need to go through regulatory framework, like for instance, one of the companies I've invested in um, has a drug that they've developed to treat glioblastoma, which is a malignant brain tumor that is terrible and um, they they will not have market validation because they can't sell it until they're through the fda right so you have market validation well a network of doctors can provide that kind of validation i think i think it's powerful so you know one one value add that this global health impact fund has is the product market fit and product market validation pre-market, right? Um, so, so go ahead. That's a big advantage for us, right? For the fund and the network. So, yeah, and you know, truthfully, of the investments that I've done, and I've done about, oh, north of 20, I've only had three companies close in the last five years now. So that's a pretty good, that's not one, one out of 10. Succeeding now, they all haven't succeeded. They haven't exited, so they were not there yet. But you know, companies typically fail fast. They run out of money because they're not, you know, checking their boxes. And so the fact that these companies are still going concerns is is interesting. And I hope that you know it will prove to be very valuable. But I I do feel that this process that we've developed that does a comprehensive qualitative and quantitative assessment of companies using physicians and experts who really understand the space will be extremely beneficial. And, you know, if you think about the math, if you just go from one in 10 to two in 10, you double your return. If you go to three in 10, you triple, right? You know, I mean, it's such a it's such a uh, big difference because the failure rate historically is so high that even incremental changes can make big differences. Now, um, what we do in, in ventures, the other thing is that you have to have a company that has a risk benefit ratio or risk reward ratio that makes sense. So what I mean by that is that we know what the risk going in is. The risk is that you lose all of your investment, right? You can't lose more than that but you can lose the million dollars you put into a company, for instance. So for that 
company to make sense. If you think about a portfolio and you make 10 $1 million investments in a $10 million portfolio and only one of those companies succeeds, right? In order to be net zero, that company has to be worth $10 million, right? Yeah. So, but net zero is not worth investing. Nobody's going to invest in you to, you know, to have a <laughs> so, so you really want to exceed that. So when we look at companies, we want to see a demonstrable 20 to 30 times return on investment in a company. Now, in, in, in your investment, and we know that these are projections and we know that they're often based on a lot of assumptions, right? Things really have to go right. But the first the first hurdle is that if a company can't even do that, can't even take projections where they're massaging their assumptions as favorably as possible and demonstrate that 20 to 30 X return, that's not a venture investment, right? Venture specifically invests in companies to get them off the ground. So it's sort of seed stage investment or growth stage investment. So we want to see some kind of exponential growth. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to marry itself to the return on investment, which is going to offset the risk. And so that's what we look like when we it, it, when we invest. And if they can't cross that hurdle, then we say, this is really interesting. I love what you're doing. You know, bootstrap, go to yeah. the bank, take out a loan, you know, something like that. And I think this is a very important question. What's next? Like, you know, when you go to invest in a startup, you know, what's more important, you know, for yourself and like the fund or become an investor? Is it the team or is it the idea? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, that. <laughs> Everybody likes the shorthand. So what I've heard is the the you you know there are four things you invest in when you invest in a startup, and I'll tell you them in order. The first thing is team. The second thing is team. The third thing is team, and the fourth team is the idea. Fantastic. So, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> you know, the truth is that when you're investing in, in specifically again going back to the regulatory, you know, healthcare innovations and what. You know, because we're doctors, of course, you know, not only is it my fiduciary obligation, but it's my desire to make a lot of money for my investors. I think that that's a good thing, not because just as a, you know, as a matter of greed, but we're investing in companies, making a lot of money through that means we've invested successfully and then we can reinvest and invest more. And what we're really trying to do is change healthcare at scale. Yeah. Several companies in our portfolio that literally can change the standard of care in the areas in which they um, operate. So, you know, that's very exciting as a doctor um, where I would normally take care of one patient at a time. And I would hopefully make a difference and be, you know, for that person, be very eventful. But in the grand scheme of things, it's nothing. You know, it's just a drop in the in the ocean. So this is really cool, and that's one of the things that attracts my, me and many of my colleagues and you know partners to this area. Um, when you come out of academic medicine specifically, you know a lot of times the team is made up of scientists and yeah. not necessarily operators. So you want to see competent, you know, you want to see names that have resonance in the medical field on your on your at least as advisors, if not as, you know, you know, core operators. And you want to see names that have resonance as business leaders, if they've had experience with exits. There's no question that having a really good idea 
is not the same thing as having a really good business. There are yeah. a lot of things that having a really good business leader can make um, can make things successful, or again, make them uh, more successful more quickly. You know, all of that. Yeah, so, but it's like even if you have a great team, though, it's not always guaranteed to succeed. It's not, and that's why you know that's why I, I chuckle a little bit when you ask me because in some respects you can build a team around an idea. I mean that's really what tech transfer is. Yeah, and so I, I think in medicine because medicine is such an, a unique space, I, I don't underestimate the value of a good team, but I really think the idea matters. And I, the way I look at the way I look at companies is I, I look at them as a as a pyramid, or I guess as a triangle, but I think about it as a pyramid. And the base of the pyramid is their clinical, everything clinical. So what's the application? How large is the market? How important is this? Things like that. Yeah. Is this something that makes sense? Does the science hold up? Is there peer review studies that support the claims? Or are there peer review studies? Excuse me. Um, and if if they don't pass by that layer, if they can't get through that with with good, you know, good marks, then I don't really care about the rest because that's to me the most important thing. If they do that, then I look at the business. How is it structured? Do they have good governance? Do they, um, you know, is what's the total addressable market? How do you get this to the customers? Do they have a payer code in the United States? That's really important. Um, you know, all of those factors. Once I've looked at that, what I look at is, is the financial risk. How much money did they need to raise? What's their pre-money valuation? Is this the last time they raise money? Uh, will we get diluted? You know, what is the, you know, the next round risk? Things like that. And of course, if we get through all of these hurdles and everything's favorable, those are companies that get serious considerations for investment. That's good. But like, I know like when a startup comes like you know there's always got to be a first like there's always got to be someone who first you know so if there's a company out there who's going to be the first in building a new whatever maybe um med tech solution you know how easy is it for us to understand if it would work obviously because we have the network we have the experts you know this is something that they would look at correct and see if it would actually work or not well, so, you know, what work means different things. It, it, the word work is doing a lot of work. Um, <laughs> you know, there's functionally like, will it actually function? Yeah. And that's one answer, one question. And then the other question is, how will it integrate clinically? And what are the barriers to that? How do you convince people that this is something that's important? We're going through that with one of our companies that we've invested in right now called Elucid. They have, uh, and they're through the FDA, so they they're in market. They're they're in market with this product now, where they can use artificial intelligence layered on top of CT angiograms of blood vessels, and they can tell us what the plaques in the blood vessels. What are what is the composition of those plaques? You say, well, who cares? We just need to know how tight the vessel is. And I say, well, that's not true, because plaques can rupture. Yeah. Plaques can attract blood clots, and it's the it's the plaque in many ways that causes the acute change. The, the guy who clutches his chest and keels over dead, it's probably more related to a plaque 
situation than just tightening because the vessels tighten slowly over time. Um, certainly in the neck when we, when we have strokes. So in the carotid artery, that's very important. Um, but it's not something people do now. And so there's an, there's an educational component. Now, the good news is that even in COVID times, there are, you know, uh, society meetings that companies can come and show their, their um, technologies off. And of course, they can publish studies that go through peer review and, you know, get published in good journals. And those are all ways to communicate those things. Uh, but it's a challenge. And, you know, adoption of new technology is a challenge. You have to get through, you know, a lot of hospital decision makers and doctor decision makers and sometimes patient and family decision makers. And that's part of that's part of the challenge, I think, that all healthcare companies go through. It's a big challenge to have. So, you know, once somebody's decided um, to become an investor, like how would you determine your investment strategy? Like, I'm assuming everyone's investment strategies are different. Like, so what would you recommend for a first time investor? Yeah, so that's really important. There are a couple of different ways to approach investing in early stage companies. Um, you know, you could be an angel investor, you could join a fund like ours, uh, or you can have an investment club, which is essentially kind of like an angel investing. I'd say the big difference between angel investing and venture investing is that when you invest in venture, you're investing in a managed diversified portfolio. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. As an angel investor, even if you're with an angel group, what you're doing is you're investing one by one in companies. And uh, they can do a remarkable job at their due diligence. So I definitely don't want to, you know, suggest otherwise. But for the most part, um, angel investors aren't involved with managing the port, managing the companies. You know, so once the investment is done, you don't necessarily, in particular, if you haven't made a large investment yourself, you don't necessarily have any agency with the company, yeah. which is okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to get information from the company. It's hard to get them to take your calls. It's hard to know what's going on. And it's certainly hard to have any influence. Now, maybe if you've aggregated a lot of money, they'll, they'll take your calls. Um, but typically with angels, they're, they're individuals on the cap table. So, you know, angel investing has its drawbacks. The other thing is you build your diversified portfolio on your own uh, or you don't. And if you don't diversify, um, you know, when we go back to that one in 10 success rate, if you only have one, you really have a probability of having a value of 10% of your investment, yeah. right? Look at upside and downside. So that's not so great. You really want diversified. They call that the Babe Ruth approach, where you want to have as many at bats as possible. And each of those at bats, you want to be able to hit a grand slam. Um, yeah. What, what well, most people don't know about Babe Ruth is he was also a strikeout, strikeout king. <laughs> he struck out a lot uh, because he swung, he just swung for the fences every time. Yeah. I think Jason Kalatas says it really well. Like instead of investing a hundred thousand in one startup, invest ten thousand in ten startups. Right. I mean, it's just that math that we talked about. It's as yeah. it, simple as, and that's you know, portfolio portfolio management. So when you invest in a venture fund, 
Well, the downside, there are two major downsides. Downside number one is that you pay a management fee because we're working for you. You know, I'm a full-time fund manager. So yeah. that costs, I mean, a small amount of money, a 2% fee typically. Um, and you also give up some of your profit. Uh, once the, and again, every venture fund is different, but there's sort of a plain vanilla venture fund, which is called two and 20. It's a 2% management fee and it's a 20% carried interest. And that means that after principal is paid back, so after you've been made whole, 20% of the profits are held by the general partnership or the, the managers of the fund. And so you get your pro rata share of 80% of the profits. So in other words, if there's a million dollars in profits from your $100,000 investment, only $800,000 gets distributed and 200 stays with the general partnership. So you do give up something, but the idea is that you're buying value with that. And, yeah. you know, I can say, you know, speaking for our fund, not only are we involved very much with our companies, but we've provided them a lot of value. We've, you know, we've initiated pilot studies for our companies. We've, you know, generated relationships with medical societies. Uh, I've helped companies uh, set up clinical trials at, at, you know, very name brand medical centers. Wow. We found chief medical officers. I mean, there are all these things that we can do because we are immersed in this environment and they're kind of in a bubble, right, in their place in their startup world. So, you know, there's just a lot of advantage that can be gained by working with an entity. And because we write bigger checks, we sit on most of our company's boards, so we know what's going on, you know, and, and when we don't like it, we can say something and influence them in a different direction. I think that's all very important. I think that's worth the price of admission. Now, if you don't think it is, that's great. Then angel investing is a well-trodden path, but I, I'm happy to be doing the fund, and I think it, it makes more sense. So it seems like a fund brings a lot more value um to the not just the portfolio companies but to the investors as well because you know they will get the updates from you as the why why you said if you're a small time angel investor in a company you know it's hard to even get an email or a call from the ceo to give you an update of what's going on yeah yeah i mean hopefully i mean, and you know there's some funds that are much more hands-off than ours and that's also okay but you know specifically we have taken board seats. You know, the only co companies we haven't taken a board seat on are ones in which we didn't make a large investment. And so it's hard to s demand that. Um, but we still try and help them, you know, and be yeah. supportive of them because of our ties to the community. You know, our companies want to get into hospitals. Well, we can make introductions to hospitals. We've got, you know, hundreds of people that want to do be a part of this. Exactly. Like, you know, and if you bring that value to the startup, you know, it brings you value when we go to exit. Right? Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. and I think it's a it's a win-win situation for both sides. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think that it's a really fun space to be in. You know, one of the interesting things I found, Martin, in talking to doctors, many of them who've joined the fund, but some of them who haven't for one reason or another, uh, is that, you know, in your career as a physician, if you think about it, you go to college, you go to medical school, you do your residency, you know, right off the bat, that's at least 10 years yeah. of your life, right? Where you're learning and you're learning intensely. 
And then you start your practice and, and often more, you know, if you're a neurosurgeon, it's another, I don't know, four or five years. Uh, if you do fellowships, it's even longer. Um, and then you're in your practice, but you're just starting out really without having somebody looking over your shoulder. So you're still learning. And of course you're moving to hospitals. And so you have to learn about systems and people and computers. And there's a lot of learning early in your career. And then at some point, you're good at what you do, and it's kind of the same thing every day. And, you know, the things you learn are different. You meet different types of people, and you learn more about different cultures. But you don't have that didactic learning that you did for years and years. So your brain is not being stimulated the same way. And people who enter that phase of their career are thirsty for knowledge right? Because that's what they love. That's how they thrive. And this has been a really interesting opportunity for those folks because they're learning about venture. They're learning about investing. They're learning about innovation, right? It's a lot of things they're learning about. It's not just one tiny little idea. And who knows, they might end up with a side hustle, second career, consultancy, or just make a lot of money on an investment. And if not any of those things, they just get to see cool stuff. So it's been really interesting to watch, you know, people get involved with us, join our community and um, sort of flex a little bit, you know, they've, they've really enjoyed it. I think it's good though. Like even if you just gain knowledge, you know, you can never have enough knowledge in life. Like you can always learn something new. You can always learn something new. And I'll tell you some another interesting anecdote that I recall from a few years ago. You know, doctors, you go into like, so I'm an anesthesiologist and I would go to the operating room and every day would be, you know, it just, it would be a different flavor of ice cream, but it was always ice cream, you know, and I loved it. I loved yeah. it. Such a great privilege to do it. So I don't, I'm not negative in any way about that, but it was what we do. Now I would talk to somebody who doesn't do what we do and even telling them the basics, they'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you stick needles in people's spines. And it sounded like another universe to them. And so doctors don't appreciate how deep and meaningful their expertise is to people outside of the medical world, because it's literally what we do on a daily, it's quotidian, right? Yeah. And so I was talking to a company and they somehow got my number and they were asking me and, you know, for some recommendations of people to talk to because they wanted to bring on some advisors, doctors. And I said, well, what were you doing before you called me? And they were literally Googling for advisors. <laughs> no, I mean, for real, like they didn't know how, like the contact between this innovation group, these people, you know, trying to come up with a new way to do something. Yeah, medicine and medicine itself, there was no, there was no connective tissue there. And so it was just a real, you know, light bulb moment for me to say, look, if we can facilitate that for people, even just to be an advisor would be kind of cool, you know, to the company, even just to give them an hour of your time, see what they're doing would be cool, you know, and who knows what that can grow into. Yeah. You know, I, I think everyone should consider advising a company at least once in their lifetime. You know, it's such a fun experience to do. Yeah. Yeah. And the energy, it's just really, it's electric. You know, uh, it's, you know, they say that it's one of the hardest jobs is being an entrepreneur. It's, you know. <laughs> but it's definitely very, not an easy thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. 
Well, awesome. Owen, I really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, you know, I really look forward to our next episode, which is going to be how to understand venture capital. Um, so if anybody has any questions for us for this next episode, you can email me at Martin with a Y. So it's M-A-R-T-Y-N at Global Health Impact Network. Or you can follow me on Twitter and DM me at Martin underscore Eels, double E-L-E-S. Again, Owen, thank you so much. And I look forward to this next episode. Oh, thanks, man. This was a pleasure. You did a great job. And I, I look forward to episode two as well. All right, man. Stay safe, okay? Cool, cool. Bye-bye. <laughs>